three money. Act three. Act three. Yes, Bunny, my friend, my brother-in-arms, my some-third thing. It is time once again for all of us here at the Pope on Film to casually stroll on in, mosey on in, some-third thing on in to our third and final act. And for those of you out there in the ether who may be a tad bit uninitiated as to how things roll, the third and final act of this show is when we finally and eventually get around to discussing our amazing, all new, all different, and finally available without a prescription movie of the week. And this week, we continue our summer-long celebration of actor Fred Willard with a look at a now legendary 1997 cult classic film. This film hit film festivals in 1996, but was released in February 1997. But on the internet, most people say it's a 1996 film because it come out came out in some film festivals, and uh, that's bullshit, and I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Nowadays, looking to see when a movie came out is difficult because it's like, wait, here it says that it's a 20... 20- 18 film this says it's 2019 i'm really confused and you have to figure out like where it had premiered as to when it actually came out but anyway yes there are some people out there that do not like this week's movie and to those people i say i say that you are bastard people is what you are <laughs> bastard people and i am going to go home and i'm going to i'm going to bite my pillow is what i'm going to do yeah. <laughs> Let's discuss this film because it's the day of the show y'all yes we're doing waiting for guffman yes Now, as always, before we get anywhere close to the meat of this, let's start our discussion with this, our eighth Fred Willard movie. Yes. Very happy with those numbers. Um, With a trip once again to the old Fred Willometer to see just how much Fred Willard is in this movie. And I dare say, with the exception of Rift Track Presents Missile to the Moon, which doesn't count, Yes. This is the most Fred Willard we've gotten so far. I I would really have to agree. This was this was rich in Willard. Yeah. Fred Willard as Ron Albertson, travel agent who had penis reduction surgery. Yes. Plus, this is the second movie in a row where Fred Willard pops up exactly at the five minute mark. Yeah. Okay. Because last week. Fred Willard popped up at the exact at exactly the five minute mark as the AM radio station owner, uh-huh. and and I went back and looked. I didn't I didn't point out exactly the moment when Fred Willard popped out for all eight movies, but I believe this is the third film out of the eight movies where he literally shows up at the five minute mark. The other <laughs> one, Harold and Kumar, go to White Castle. Three of our eight films have had Fred Willard pop up in the first five minutes of the film. I don't know why I'm pointing that out, but I think it's interesting. I I, I think it's interesting. It's got to mean something. Yeah, yeah. Five minute Fred Willard. Not sure what that is, but like like you get billed different. Like you get you get credited differently, and because of it, you get you get more money by contract. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. well, to qualify for this character, you need to come in this kind of character. You need to come in at the five minute mark. Yeah. You know, like, like it sounds like I see now I, I completely made that up, but it sounds like it, it sounds means like it would be, something. Yeah. You know, it sounds like it would be a thing. And that thing could be boring. Could be, you know. I came up with the idea to put my Zoom background as best in show about a minute before you came back. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to put this background on, and then I'm just here waiting. I wonder when Bunny's coming back. I wonder when... Oh, shit, why don't I just put waiting for government? Okay, no. Uh, God damn it. Type, 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 type. <laughs> so... um. Personally, I think this is one of Fred Willard's greatest performances. This and uh, Best in Show, yeah, which we'll get to eventually. And I, I, I wasn't going to say this because I forgot what website I saw it on, but I'm going to mention it anyway. One of the websites that I went to is looking for information for this week's film listed uh oh here are um, my here's our list of the top five best. Christopher Guest mockumentaries and their list was as follows best in show number one okay. number two mascots okay number three whatever the third one was number four waiting for Guffman and number five was for your consideration, and I was really upset about that because you do not put Corky St. Clair right there with fucking for your consideration. Yeah. God damn it! He was he he played on Broadway. Well, he played off 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 Broadway. Yeah. But still, god damn it, you don't do that to my man Corky. Mm-hmm. I forgot the shock of seeing Corky St. Clair pop up in mascots. When we did that film forever ago, remember the Christopher we did Guest? That, uh, yes, I I remember it. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the mascots is played by Parker Posey, and so she needs help with her character, so she calls Corky. So Corky pops up. Yeah. Okay. Means, and we talked about it during that film that that means that there's a Christopher Guestiverse. Yes. Where all of these movies coincide. What was the other film? What was the other Christopher Guest mockumentary that was sandwiched between mascots and best and waiting for Guffman? I don't know. Anyway, now, Bunny. Yes. Today we'll we'll be talking about our man here, Corky Saint Clair. Now, a lot of people, of course, know him from his work in the Blaine, Missouri community theater scene. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of barefoot in the park stands out there. Yes. And then on Tumblr, there's huge backdraft, the musical fans out there. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the fan art. Um, and of course, and of course the, uh-huh. the biggest fandom, the biggest fandom out there uh, for red, white and Blaine. But I actually saw him off, 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 Broadway in 1991 when I was living in New York um, I saw him in the starring role in the musical Cornelius McGillicuddy and his truly amazing flying machine at the 187th Street Cellar Theater it was truly sublime what I liked about that play was the conceptualization the whole abstraction the obtuseness of the production to me 
is what was interesting. Bunny, your thoughts? I liked it. I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) That is, the play I mentioned was one of the posters in his apartment. I paused it took a really good look. But he was in Cornelius McGillicuddy and his truly amazing flying machine, a far-out musical at the 187th Street Cellar Theater, which you just know is a basement somewhere. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, that that is his definition of with just With just folding chairs set up. Yeah. And, yeah. There, and there's, like, no lighting to speak of or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, I'm full of fun facts about this film. For example, the town historian plays two parts in this movie. Let me explain. So originally, they gave him the part of the principal of the high school. Uh And he was an uptight character, and his entire thing was, look at you guys, you're you're scuffing the floor of our gymnasium. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with you theater people using our gymnasium, but we have basketball here on Tuesday, and you're scuffing up the floor. Yeah. You're scuffing up the floor of the, can, can you take off your shoes? And that was his whole part. But then when they were editing the film, they cut him out. And so Christopher Guest was upset. So they added more footage of him as a different character. And that was the town historian. And they thought that that would help the play. And and he would explain the history of Blaine and all that. But they left in a scene with him as the principal. Okay. So in the beginning of the film, he is the town historian. But then when you see him during uh, intermission or as M- Mrs. Dr. Pearl says, halftime. Yeah. When you see him in halftime, that's a scene left over from when he was the principal. So in the mm-hmm. beginning, he's there. It's like, we're really excited for the sesquicentennial and, and, and we're just chomping at the bit here to get information out there. And I'm so excited. Let me tell you about Blaine. But then when you see him uh, at the play, he's like, yes, it's, uh, it's a fine musical. Uh, some of the numbers are really good. Uh, some of them are re- really getting your brain like an earworm. I, I, I'm having a hard time getting them out. It's maddening. <laughs> it's like, that's a different character. Yeah, that was a scene left over from when he was the principal. So technically, that guy has two parts in the movie. Cool. I think that's interesting. Fun fact. Here's another fun fact for you. David Cross has a small but memorable part as a UFO expert. And I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, Nabali. I love that entire scene. Um, at the time, David was on, was uh, half of the late night HBO sketch comedy show, Mr. Show with Bob and David, and soon eventually to be Breaking Bad's own Bob Odenkirk has another small, had another small part in the movie, but that scene was cut. Okay. But, still, but all, he was one of the people... Uh, who was auditioning for the play. And also all of the actors who auditioned came up with their own auditions. Nice. And, and so uh, Bob Balaban and, and um, 
uh, Corky, they were unaware of what the actors would be doing for for their auditions. So Parker Posey came up with the song Teacher's Pet, found the old song and sang it and came up with the, the, the everything. So I think that that's cool. Um, so David Cross from Mr. Show with Bob and David, he's the UFO expert. Bob Odenkirk was auditioning to be in the play and they cut out his audition, but there is about a two second sequence where you can still see him in the hallway waiting to audition. He is, he has a face makeup and he looks like a goth. He's dressed as a vampire and he's got a coat and everything. And you just see him just standing on the wall waiting to audition. And that's Bob Odenkirk. So in order to explain what they're doing in this film, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross from Uh HBO, Mr. Show with Bob and David. Let's talk about Martin Short. Okay. Uh, Martin Short and Christopher Guest were both in SNL. And apparently they were real uh, buddies. Okay. They were real, uh, like, good buddies with each other. They still are. And so Christopher Guest is telling his friend Martin Short about this movie idea. It's going to be called Waiting for Guffman, and this is what it's about. And Martin Short fell in love with the idea. He's like, this is such a great idea. This is going to be a wonderful film, and 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 I can't wait to do it. When are we doing it? What part are you going to give me? I'll star in it. I'm so excited. When do we start? And Christopher Guest was like, okay, let me explain why you're not getting a part in this film. Okay. Um... Slow your roll there, Chief. For this role, I want fairly unknown people. Not people that are entirely unknown, but I can't have stars in this film because when people see, I want this to be, to feel real. I want this to be, a, a to feel like an actual documentary. I want it to be real. And because of that, like, I can't have a Will Smith in this or yeah. a Jeff Goldblum or a Brad Pitt or a Martin Short. And so I'm sorry, but you're too much of a face and you can't be in this. And Martin Short was really upset, but that brings us back to Mr. Show with Bob and David because HBO picked it up and HBO aired it. And also HBO fucking hated it. Okay. HBO hated Mr. Show with Bob and David. After the first season, they made a movie with HBO about one of the characters from the first episode of of Mr. Show with Bob and David. And HBO saw the completed film and said, this is the worst film we've ever seen and we will not release this. Okay. It eventually took, like, I would say almost a decade, I think, until the movie was actually released, like, straight to DVD. And I was so excited to finally see the movie. And I'm sorry, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, but HBO was right. The movie is shit. <laughs> it's called Run, Ronnie, Run, and it's real fucking bad. It's it's basically like uh, the Problems with America thon. They got a 10-minute skit. They yeah. turned it into an hour and 45-minute movie. It's too much of a stretch, and it's just not a good film. But Mr. Show premiered on HBO in 1995, 
And because HBO hated it, you know, they would change the air times. They would change when new episodes would come out. They would postpone yeah. new seasons. And they were basically trying to bury this show while also showing it on HBO. So in 1997, uh, Christopher Guest makes Waiting for Guffman, and he doesn't want famous people. And in 1997, no one was less famous than the star of an HBO television show. <laughs> okay. So they, so they put, so he put Bob Odenkirk and David Cross on here because he didn't want faces. And back then, HBO wasn't like the 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 hit maker that it was. Yeah. Now, now, oh, you have a show on HBO. Oh, wow, that's a big deal. But. Back then, I guess, like, oh, you have a show on HBO? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That that stinks. So, so yeah, that's why they are they are both in this movie. Uh, Bob Odenkirk's deleted scene is on YouTube, and I saw it. It's cute. He uh, uh, Christopher Guest filmed over sixty hours of footage. Okay. For this film, and it took him a year and a half to edit, which is insane. But Bonnie, why don't you hit us with the plot? Because you're always good at summarizing the plot. I'm not as good as you are. Hit us the plot. Uh, I may not have all of the minutia. <laughs> the minutia. But basically, it's a it's a. <laughs> Town community, small community play about the history of their town that they believe some big deal. And, like, I didn't get he was from New York to begin with. I thought he was still with a local paper is going to come and review their, their play. Yeah. And that is it. They are expecting Guffman. They're waiting for Guffman. This well, New York critic. I, the, I the, the, that's basically the whole plot. Yeah, I it's study, how we play in and out of that is what's f- loads of fun. I studied Waiting for Godot in college my freshman year. And so I didn't really want to see the movie when it came out. But I did see it just to see like... Like, hey, Tom, I studied Waiting for Godot. I don't know what Waiting for Guffman is about, but I can tell you Guffman's not going to show up. (laughs) He's like, why isn't Guffman going to show up? And it's like, I don't know, but I I know Waiting for Godot and Guffman's not going to show up. Somehow Guffman's not going to be in this movie. And he's like, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll go see the movie together. And I was right. And I was really happy about that. Uh Mm-hmm. To be clear, this movie bombed when it came out. This was a February movie. So that's when they release films that they're uh, scared and nervous about. So this movie cost $4 million to make. And it made a little under $3 million at the box office. Yeah, that's, that's an insane pain. So no one saw this movie in theaters. It wasn't until it was released it, it on like a VHS and DVD and whatever that the film took off and became a cult classic and all of that and, and, and led to all of the other 
subsequent films. But I am proud to say that I saw this movie in theaters the day it came out. And I'm really very proud about that because no one saw this movie, but I did see this in theaters. At first, I thought I saw it at the AMC Gateway Village 10, which was right by my house and where we all went to go see movies. But no, I saw it at Harkins Centerpoint Cinema on Mill Avenue in Tempe, Arizona. It was right by the college that I was going to. Yeah. So I would be at college and then a 10 minute walk and I'm in the movie theater. So I would go there a lot and it was a two story movie theater. So there was like six screens down here and there were five screens up there. And so what I would do is I would, because it was so close to a college, I would, I, it was fine for me to, to walk into the theater with like a backpack uh-huh. So in the backpack, I would put my contacts, a hat, a change of shirt, and I would go to a movie, and then I'd bring the paper with me, which was easy to get for free at the college. And it, back then, it would not only show what movies were playing at a theater, but the times and which uh, theater it would be playing in, in the theater. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, hey, this is playing at 845 in screen four. And so I would go see a movie and then head to the bathroom, change my appearance. And okay. then with the newspaper say, OK, so this movie starts in 10 minutes uh, in screen six. OK. And I would just I would do uh, double features uh, once or twice, uh, triple features. I could spend the whole day hiding in that movie theater. <laughs> and it was great. So I so Tom and I went to go see it at Harkin Centerpoint Cinema. And, and then I, I looked up the history of this theater because I wasn't sure if it was there anymore. Yeah. So Harkin's theaters were they opened up this theater in the 90s and then it closed down in 2007. And then a company bought it and turned it into live theater space. But then they closed down in 2012. And then AMC bought it in 2014 and turned it back into a movie theater. So this movie theater I used to go to is still there, but it's completely different. Yeah. Because it's closed down and reopened up again. But anyway, I saw it with Tom, and this this movie was right up our alley, and we fell in love with it. But a lot of a lot of the reasons why we first fell in love with this movie was because, again, no one saw this, so it was a good like year of us quoting this film before the rest of America caught up with our love of this film. Yes, you know? for a while it was just the both of us just going, "It's the day of the show, y'all." <laughs> it's just it was just minor surgery and calling people bastard people bastard I fell, people. I fell in love with a lot of people in this movie number one parker posey yes love parker posey specifically her libby may brown basically she is my ex debbie if she was tall and didn't stink of the cheapest weed you could find. <laughs> okay. 
side note, I recently uh, found her on Facebook, and I just want to say how phenomenally I am aging. (laughs) At first, I was like, who is this goblin? And then I realized that I just have really good genes and uh, yeah, really, really proud of all of this right now. I kudos to Dr. Pearl's wife. Yes. Mrs. Dr. Pearl. She's just so goddamn believable. <laughs> He's just so believable as the stuck at home Jewish housewife. Yeah. She is phenomenal in this and almost plays the exact same character in Best in Show. It's been a while since yeah. I've seen Best in Show. Yeah. So, it is so, so, like, I tracked her down and I'm like, I love her in Best of Show and I love her in waiting for Guffman. I want to see like if I know her in anything else. And it took me a, a while but I figured out where else I have seen her before. Her name is Linda Cash, Canadian comedian, actress, and she is apparently most well known according to Wikipedia for being the Philadelphia cream cheese angel. Oh. Uh- Oh, you remember those commercials in the like eighties and nineties? No, not at all. No, and they were commercials <laughs> for Philadelphia cream cheese, and there was an angel on the clouds, and she would eat Philadelphia cream cheese, and it was so creamy and luxurious, like a cloud. And they did like that was an Energizer Bunny level or flow from Progressive level, but yeah. it, it was maybe. Remember, remember when that, when remember when butter commercials had a plot. <laughs> that weird period in time where 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 like that one specific butter that came from a tub, and there were plots, and and two people fell in love while reaching for butter. Yes, and like there was a plot around that. Yes, right around there was the Philadelphia cream cheese angel. And she was like the face of Philadelphia cream cheese for like a for like a, a number of years. Well, how is she on the Mother Nature scale? Uh, I don't know. Like lower than know. Mother Nature? Yeah. I don't know. Right about there. Or Imperial like, Butter, where you would get the crown. Imperial. Yeah. 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 Right around there. And also, uh, this movie triggered some PTSD for me. Number one, Bob Balaban's uh, music teacher looks and sounds exactly like Perry, the manager from the bookstore in Sacramento that tried to force me to quit after the robbery so that Barnes & Noble wouldn't be liable for for the robbery that I was in. And so he specifically focused on all of us who were in the robbery and made our lives a living hell. If Bob Balaban was um, homeless for a decade, Mm -hmm. 
then he would be Perry, the manager of the bookstore. I feel more comfortable talking about him now that I know that he fled America and is now living in Paris. <laughs> I feel more comfortable of saying he was a fucking piece of shit. Okay. Parker Posey had never done improv before. She had never ad-libbed before, and she wasn't sure if she was you know capable of doing it and like so christopher guest was like oh fred willard no problem eugene levy no problem not sure about parker posey but uh, apparently what christopher guest does is he doesn't uh have you audition he just talks to you yeah and so he sat down with actress Parker Posey and they just talked about themselves and their lives and a- after 10 minutes he was just like I know you can do it. You got the part. Nice. Just period. That was it. And it's like, oh, good for you. Because Parker Posey's amazing in this. Oh, so she's she's been pretty amazing in in all the guest films I've seen. She's always done a good job. Yes, she has. Yes, she has. Uh, The the busy bee. Oh. And 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 uh, again, she's in my Doogie Hauser category, where I'm really kind of pulling for her. Yeah. To break out and become a bigger name than she is. Yeah, same. So more PTSD. When Ron and Sheila go out to eat with the pearls yes. at the Chinese restaurant, um, and Sheila gets drunk. Okay. That is one hundred percent my mom when she's drunk. Yeah. So goddamn perfect that it gave PTSD. Like she, like she, like she followed my mom. Yeah. Like, like she was shadowing. Like, like back in the day when, like, oh, Daniel Day Lewis is going to be a a a train operator. So he goes and follows a train operator for like six months. You know, to prepare it's like freaking Sheila followed my mom every Friday and Saturday night for like three months. <laughs> Sheila being drunk at the Chinese restaurant, because that is 100% my freaking mom. It is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. So uh, I, I just want a, a little shout out to a website I found. It's called Scraps from the loft.com. Okay. Mostly what it does is transcribes movies and TV shows. Yeah. And then just posts them on their website. So if you ever want the the a transcript of the last episode of Last Week Tonight or the movie Trolls World Tour, that's where you would go. Really? Okay. But for whatever reason, I found on there a ridiculously, insanely massive story of the history of the making of Waiting for Government. It is so long that, like, not long enough to be a book, but too long for a magazine. Yeah. You know, so it's an impressive read especially for anyone 
who considers themselves to be a fan of this movie, and I, I, I seriously recommend it. It's it's an amazing read. Oh, it's oh 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 the reader the movie the movie is no, hysterical. Well, yeah, no, I also recommend the movie as well. It, but but Christopher Guest movies are movies, at least for me, where it's like they're funny, but not in a way where I am laughing out loud. It's like a subtle, quiet, funny. Yeah. I did a lot of community theater in my teens and 20s. I've met a lot of Ron and Sheila's. Yeah. I've, I've met so many Ron and Sheila's and Corky's, and, and it's just and, and like, oh my God, it is just picture perfect. It is just a perfect look at, at people who I did plays with in Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> you know, and it's not, it, I, I don't find the movie laugh out loud funny, but it's like, it's quirky enough that you fall in love with it. I was at the exact right point of high when the how many babies fit in a tire line came out and it fucking came close to killing me (laughs) nice i couldn't catch my breath i was i was struggling for air i i i I almost messaged you about it so so (laughs) like so like I, I I think drugs help waiting for government a lot. Yeah. Right before we... Does she know that? Yeah. Okay. Right before we started recording, I, I, I put another uh, video on my uh, Storytime with Mr. Steve YouTube page, and it's just three minutes of Corky saying, Everybody dance! <laughs> and just, I have been saying that... In, I've been saying that nonstop for like two days. Everybody dance. Just it's, it's perfect. Oh, that reminds me the bare naked ladies. Okay. Canadian band, numerous hits over the years. I saw them in concert twice in the nineties and when I saw them both times, you know, you know, during the concert, the one part where they're like, here's the number where we let the drummer do something. Yeah. You know, like, oh, OK. Take it away, bass player. And, and so they, there was one part of the show both times when I saw them where they let the keyboardist do a song. And he can barely sing, but both times he would do this like badly sung song. And he's talking about the one thing he loves the most. And then the chorus is just clips of beans. (laughs) Yes, beans. Now, don't get me started about beans. And it, it became this like legendary uh, a bare naked ladies song that they only did live and that they never released in an album, and it was their Bean song where they sampled "Waiting for Guffman." <laughs> and I just wanted to mention bare naked ladies because they 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 are an interesting band, and and um, 
uh, ever since one of the lead singers left because of his cocaine problem, the band hasn't been the same. But still, I, I will get you some of that when I'm done, okay? I will get you some of that when I'm done. But that's all I've got for this movie. I love this goddamn movie. Oh, this is a great movie. It's a great movie. movie. Highly recommend it. I love this movie. My booby made a kishka. <laughs> yes. Love that damn song so much. And oh, Libby May has yes. a part in my goddamn heart. Yes. So hard. But yes, highly recommended. And uh, it, oh, man, Fred Willard. <laughs> Fred Willard Fred is Willard, great yes. in this film. Uh, next week, since this movie is what, 90s, late 90s, we need to go someplace different. And that's what I'm trying to do to, to go to different decades and different time periods. And so next week, I know nothing about this film. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know... I don't remember it coming out. I don't think I've ever seen it. All I know about this film is that Gilda Radner is in it. That's I, And it was written by, uh, what's his name, Buck Henry. Other than that, I okay. have no information about this goddamn film because I've never seen it before. Didn't know it existed, but I was looking for Fred Willard films. I found this. It's from 1980, and it's called First Family. Okay. It's already on our shared cough cough and it's just waiting for us and it's like I, have you seen this film before? I'm sure I've seen parts of it. I remember at the time I found it kind of boring. Bob Newhart, Madeline Kahn, Gilda Radner, Harvey Corman, Rip Torn, Fred Willard. I mean yeah. It it this has the smallest Wikipedia page <laughs> that I have ever seen. This is this is one of only two films that Buck Henry ever uh, directed. He wrote a shit ton of movies. He wrote The Day of the Dolphin. Yeah. Unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. <laughs> huh. But yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Next week, we're doing the film First Family. First Family, okay. I don't know. I, I always like Bob Newhart, you know? We're going to see. I mean, it was a lot of years ago. It was probably the 80s. I think it was 1980 when it came out. Like, I believe they filmed it in 79 and it came out in 80. And it might have it might have come on HBO, and I might have checked it out a little bit here and a little bit there, and it not having grabbed me something along that line. So we we will see, and taste can change. And yeah, I think this is one of those movies where like Gilda Radner plays Madeline Kahn's daughter, even though they're almost the same age. Yeah, like B. Arthur and whatever her name was from the Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, they weren't that far in age. And I'm and I'm also feeling that that any of the political humor they wind up doing in this movie, we're gonna find it quaint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yes. 
But that's next week. And now that I'm looking back at this week, oh, the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs, the roller coaster sickness, the My Little Pony Nazis. I got to say, I think this has been a pretty good episode of the podcast. It has been a damn good episode of the podcast. Okay, good. I was going to say the same thing, but I wanted to... Uh, you know, you're the person who makes that distinction, not me. I didn't want to step on any toes. But yes, I concur with your statement, good sir. So until next week, I am Bunny Williams. And I am Reverend Steve. And on behalf of Natasha and Maxwell and everybody else, I just want to say thanks for listening. And we will see you next week, you godless heathens. And you, Captain Underpants? Okay, sure. Why not? Oh, you're upset that you can't come and say something? You can stand right here and say something, but you can't appear on the screen because you don't have a shirt on, and I'm not going to jail. So you can stand right here, right there. Stay right there. Okay, and say something. But you got to say it loud so they can hear you. And poopy. There you go. You are a part of the show. Do 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 do